Hello and welcome to the Player to Prospect podcast. The following episode features a conversation with Jack Martyr, who's an assistant coach and the recruiting coordinator at the University of Oregon. To support the podcast, all follows, ratings, and reviews are appreciated. And now I present to you Jack Martyr. I was told by a player on your team that you have an Omaha caliber squad this year. Can you elaborate just a little bit on like why someone on your team, you know, uh, maybe his name's Stone Turby, why he might say that? Like, how, how are you feeling about the team going into the season so far? Well, number one, we have great kids. I mean, like, they're, they're great people. I think, I think that's number one. And so as a mm. coach, anyone that says otherwise, in my opinion, I think is probably either lying to you or isn't invested in the why they do what they do mm. versus it just being a transactional deal. When you love the guys that you're working with, um it makes the season way better no matter what the result is right like yeah you know you know not worried about making sure i'm doing my job or whatever it is all you're worried about is the kids um and you got to always remind yourself of that as a coach it's that it is about the boys that you're coaching and their experience being awesome right Mm. and then if you're recruiting the right kind of kids their reasons why they're here are pure as well Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I want to start off with that saying that we love our guys. We love the people that we have. And so I know that when it comes down to going, you know, shoulder to shoulder or we're battling in all those tough games that we're going to have in our conference and throughout the year, um, you know, we're doing it together, which is great. That's I think that's important. I think I think anything that's that's other than that, it's going to be really tough to win uh, all those um, grueling you know, battle games that you're going to have against other great opponents that we have to face uh, throughout the season. Um, Mm -hmm. The second part of that is from a talent perspective. um, Mm -hmm. We have a lot of really, really young, talented pitchers. And that certainly the more that they get experience, we'll realize how good that they are. Mm -hmm. Um, They just need to have that experience first. Right. And so you can't really, Mm -hmm. you know, cement the fact that they're going to be studs this year um, because, things change as you can remember from college when you show up as a freshman and mm-hmm. sometimes the lights turn on and uh, things change for you. We're hoping that we've prepared them well enough and they've prepared themselves to where they can just go be themselves and themselves be good enough. Mm-hmm. So that's on the pitching side of it. We have a lot of young talent that's there and then we have a lot of old bats. Um, and so I would say that, um, you know, the culture of what, let's say that I'm a part of the offense, the culture that those mm-hmm. boys have created has been great. They have really high standards. You know, they, they broke a bunch of records last year. I think they uh, broke 12 offensive records last year and in the program, Mm -hmm. and they're trying to beat that this year. Um, And I think that those are awesome goals to set. But as a group, I think that we have some talent and we got some experience and we got a chip on our shoulder for sure. And um, you know, we know that we were picked finished fifth in the conference, which is something that um, we're not okay with, but at the same time, um those things shake out towards the end of the year um and when it comes down to in a regional time if we're you know fortunate enough to get to that level it's about who's hot at that moment and who's pitching well and who's hitting well and we think that we could be that group I mean yeah you you talk about the media and you know what their projections are and all those things and I just keep thinking back to the you know the most recent case of Ole Miss last year you know they were the one of the last four in and you know, they, then they make a run because they're hot. And you look at that team, it's a lot like, you know, the team that you're describing right now, which is they're playing for each other. They're close, like shoulder to shoulder, like you're saying. And that's really what fuels like success in a team. Probably more than talent, I would say. I mean, at least 
as coaches, you know, you look for talent and stuff, but then there's like that whole other piece of like bringing those guys together, you know? So, I mean, it sounds like to me, that's a big strength for your guys team. And that's something you guys are going to lean on. Is that something you guys try to instill too, like in the fall and like leading up to the season? Like, is that something you guys like build into that day to day is like you guys are, you know, a unit you're trying to compete as one. Yeah. I, th I think, you know, every coach is going to say they want to have a great culture that's there. Well, that, those are things yeah. that you can't force yet. They organically grow. Uh, mm. And when you have high standards, number one, to where guys are accountable for doing what they need to do. I mean, there's no player that comes in here and says, Hey coach, I'm, I'm not interested in playing professional baseball, right? Mm -hmm. Every guy that I coach is saying, yeah, I, I want to play professional. I want to be an all American. I want to be an all Pac-12 player. I want to be a big leaguer. I want to go to Omaha. Of course you do. I mean, those are all awesome goals. Are you willing to pay the price from a work ethic standpoint and a discipline standpoint and accountability standpoint mm. to accomplish those things? Mm -hmm. When you start to see wavering on that front, then you can say you want those things, but you're not going to make it impossible for those things not to happen, I guess, in a sense. And so the culture mm -hmm. for us is really about um, kind of make a, a complete organic collection of things. It's about being super prepared. Mm -hmm. um, and us as a staff need to be super prepared for practice and the players need to be super prepared for developing. We need to be super prepared mm -hmm. for every part of the plan. It's about having great relationships with your, with your players uh, mm -hmm. and honest relationships. Um, it, it ain't, I'm not your buddy, buddy. Uh, when I'm here, I'm your coach, but the way that we're going to be great friends uh, and have great respect for each other is, you know, what my job is to help you. And that's all mm -hmm. I'm just trying to help you. Right. And so whether I'm getting on you or patting you on the, on the shoulder or whatever it is, it's, it's to be honest and genuine, but how I'm going to try and help out your career. When you have those relationships mm -hmm. that are transformational versus transactional, um you can mm. get the most of the players right there's a lot of ownership that you need mm -hmm. uh, we need to be super competitive uh the most competitive group that's playing at, at all times and the most competitive people um mm. and it being fun to compete versus just fearful you know mm. um we uh and I'm, I'm spelling something out as i go not that i had this prepared but um there's an energy and effort part of that that we have every single day that we try and bring mm. um that it needs to be infectious and so the guy that's kind of on the fence of if they're going to be in or not that day because of whatever's going on, that they grab a contagious energy and effort that that pushes them uh, to get the most of themselves. And then we have uh, standards and we're about substance here, right? We're not about just the glitz and the glamour of it being Oregon. And that mm -hmm. is our culture. And that is built around this word of process that we try and talk about that mm. is overused because people don't even understand the meaning of, of the process. Mm -hmm. uh, mm. I think it's something that you got to earn. Um, and, you know, so you're asking about, do we, do we work on those things? Absolutely. We do every single day. You have to, mm. uh, but we do them with little tiny things. We know we're not going on a retreat in the middle of the season and just saying, okay, our, our culture is great. Um, it's something that you do organically every day when we go to breakfast and I'm, having breakfast with our players every morning at seven o'clock. And we're not talking about baseball things. Usually it's about life things so that they can hmm. know that I'm there for them as a person or the tough conversations at nine o'clock at night when they want to talk about their, you know, something that happened, you know, in the game today or whatever it is, or you know, yeah. so on and so forth or, or the coaching that they need. And, and same thing goes with their relationships with each other. Has that always been a point of emphasis for you personally is the player to coach relationship? Yeah, I mean, the, you know, other than it being that I think that I know 
a little bit about baseball um, and how to teach it and, you know, the mechanics of, of things and mm. the X's and O's uh, is why I coach. It's awesome. Mm. I mean, the yeah. impact that you get to make, um, you know, and the responsibility of the impact that you can make on a college athlete in their most impactful time of their life, mm. college is an unbelievable responsibility. That's how I describe it. And it's why I love doing what I do. Um, it's certainly mm. there are the pros um, to the job. And um, that means more to me than anything. I mean, I, mm-hmm. there's no doubt about it. If, if this was all just about winning and only about winning, um, you know, I feel like I'd be doing something way different, you know, go mm-hmm. make much money doing something else. I, I think this is really just about, yeah. I mean, shoot, I get to work with baseball players every day and, <laughs> and live vicariously through them, you know, um, and their most enjoyable time of their life. It's, it's great. Keeps, gets me gray a little bit, but keeps me young at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Can you talk about like, uh, cause you talked about preparedness, you know, preparing for competition, right? Can you talk about, uh, this week kind of leading into this first series that you guys have to, to kick off the season and what that looks like? Yeah. So just from a, like a scouting perspective, um, mm, yeah. without giving too much about what we do, um, you know, my job is to know who we're going to face from an arm perspective, you know, and what it is that they do. And yeah. so I go through a litany of a pro- of my own process to make sure that I know everything about every pitcher that we're facing, who are the best matchups for those guys, um, and how do we beat them? Um, the mm-hmm. other side of that, too, then is what are they going to do from an offensive perspective and where they hit the baseball from a spray chart to who likes to bunt to who likes to run to who likes whatever to where we know – you know their team extremely well i like to have the feeling like we know their team as well as they know their team and that's what keeps me calm and sane as when i feel like i know everything about what's going to happen in this game before anybody else does (laughs) Um, that's what allows for me to feel like i'm at my best and Mm. for me to stay poised in what i'm doing you know when you feel like you're really prepared as a coach you can then feed that off to your players you know i think that that's Mm. a really big deal is um you know we joke all the time and i joke all the time it's like unbelievably if someone thought i was being serious they they would say this guy's crazy but uh i tell them all the time hey don't worry guys if you're stressed out or if you feel like you're you're nervous or you're not confident don't worry you got me right and you got me and i'm gonna take care of you. you can jump on my back and i'll i'll lead us to victory kind of a thing and the guys all laugh because they know that you know in the middle of the game there's only so much that i can do but yeah um, you know, if I didn't feel like I was personally really prepared, um, I can't expect our players to feel like they're really prepared. And so mm. I try and pride myself on being the most prepared coach for any opponent that we are up against um, and as well as anybody in the country. Uh, and so it takes a lot of work. I don't need to go into the amount of hours that it goes into it, but let's just say, Jack, if you were throwing a pitch in your entire career, I would have seen it. I like that. I like that. Let's talk about like that offensive approach and like hitting. Let's dive into hitting for you because I know that's that's your specialty. That's that's what you run, you know, over at Oregon. Um, can we talk about like in-game sort of adjustments that you like to make? And I, I know at least at the pro level, I see like a constant dialogue between the coaches and the hitters. And they're always looking at the numbers, like saying, like, okay, this is what he's got going for him. It's it's a constant dialogue, right? Is it the same in that dugout? Like, how do you like to kind of approach the in-game sort of, um, I guess, adjustments or really just um, 
relationship with your with your offense? It's different for every guy, right? So mm-hmm. for me to coach every guy the same, I think would um, do any discredit on what it actually takes for them to get to their best level. Yeah. Um, so if you're a guy that's super analytical and you want to know, you know, heat maps of where he's throwing it in the zone and at what spin rate and what his ball is going to do. And mm. that gives you the best chance for success. I would have liked to have known that information, uh, but that's just how my brain worked. Um, mm. I'm going to give it to you. If you're the guy that just goes, coach, I just want to sit fastball and adjust and you're proving that that's going to work, then I'm going to coach you on that front. And so mm-hmm. um, per guy, it's different, especially in college with how much that you're growing and shaping as a person. I think that when you're in professional baseball, um, you kind of walk through this um, almost like this halo glow of now this is my career and this is all up to me. And um, you start taking even more of an ownership of your own career, of what you need. Mm. I think that, um, I don't know. I would just say that you kind of have a better grasp of exactly what you need to do at, at college. I think that you need a little bit more of our help um, with that, but um you know, I like to think a lot more about mentality and confidence and what's are the maybe the pitches that you're going to get versus what you want to hit kind of a thing. But what from an external cue perspective is going to allow for you to perform. So if I have a guy that hmm. has an issue uh, that gets super uphill right in his swing or, you know, his attacking goals are generally high and we're facing uh-huh. a guy that has some ride to his fastball is going to pitch at the top of the zone. I got to give him a thought that's going to allow for his swing to match what is going to work in that game right so Mm -hmm. if i tell that guy you know hey think about hitting it off his shoe tops right think about Mm -hmm. getting above the baseball and and driving this down that might get him more downhill and more flat in that thought versus hey make sure that you're raising your hands and getting your barrel to work at uh this angle at 90 degrees with with your with your spine and get your attack angles lower that might be too much for a kid to think about other than hey just feel like you're getting on top of the baseball today Right, because yeah. I do it, and he doesn't really have much of a twelve-six downer on top of that. It's more of a slider, and so you working flatter is going to help you today. Well, that would be me knowing the information from who we're facing, and then knowing the information of our player about what works for him, mm-hmm. and giving him the best chance for success. If there's a guy that is more analytical, I could say, hey, "Dude, your attack angles are too high on this guy, and you got to lower them, and, and maybe think about getting your hands up a little bit today." Right now it would be mm-hmm. way in depth, but mm-hmm. now you're going into the center of the onion of, of what you do with each guy to help them have success on a pitcher versus a, you know, a six foot five guy that's throwing straight downhill over the top. And he's got a 12, six breaker yeah. well, maybe making rotationally not going to work today. Hey guys, get it. Let's get it high to the, to the, um, to the hitters out today. See how many home runs we can hit uh, through center field. Right. And mm-hmm. that might get them thinking more vertically right in their brain. Right. Um, okay. Lower your hands a little bit today to get you more um, working vertically. Well, those are subtle things, but maybe the, the difference of a kid getting another hit or or not. And also, if you're too analytical with them, then they might be overthinking when they're playing. We don't want that either. So, yeah, the relationship and knowing your players and what's going to give them success. Yeah. I mean, certainly from a hitter perspective, I've always seen that as more of a game of adjustments than pitching, honestly, because at this point, it seems like pitchers can kind of play to their strengths and just rely a little bit more on that whereas hitters kind of have to you know make really big adjustments it sounds like at least even from a swing perspective just mechanically from pitcher to pitcher so in terms of that does that affect like development on an individual level in the season 
is that something you like focus on during a season or is the development side on the on the hitter side at least is that kind of superfluous in a way is that unnecessary to focus on once the season begins no i mean i think that for anyone you know it's a constant game of adjustments we try and prepare yeah. our guys to where we're not giving them something outlandish that that we've never talked about in the middle of the season and then they're going hmm. so coach i gotta ride this out for 25 at bats well that's you know more or less an eighth of my season that's an eighth of my at bats that are there that yeah you know, you know, that could be a 10th of the season that we're talking about that you want me to work on something completely new. Mm. You know, they're not going to be a whole lot of conviction in that deal. Right. Mm. But if it's something that, Hey Jack, I know that we've been talking about this and it's around this issue. Let's try this today and see if this works for your game. Mm. Well, we have to do a great job of presenting all those things at the forefront in the fall leading up to the season and all that, you know, full well that your most conviction to make adjustments is when you're failing. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, coach, I'm over 10. I'm willing to listen to you now. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Try and present some negative uh, opportunities, even in practice to expose them. That's part of coaching, mm. right. Is, is getting your players to be prepared with everything and having the right kind of kids that go, man, I'm, I've been struggling in practice. I know it's not a game and whatever, but mm. Martyr, is this because of this? Is this because of the things that we've talked about? Um, and I would say, yeah, Johnny, it is, you know, or whatever, or no, Hey man, you're good. Like, I, you know, look at what we've shown that you've done a great job. And, but the other guys that make adjustments all the time, we had a player that was a big leg kick guy and, um, you know, it, it had worked for him in the past and, you know, one leg injury kind of a thing and he can't hold it as well. And now he's getting to a foot land position in a different spot. And, you know, a week before the season where he's going foot down early guy. And, uh, well, that guy went, you know, I think seven for, nine this weekend and had a great weekend right and so mm. that adjustment work well it did for him yeah. but he was also super convicted in doing it so i think that that's a big part of it mm -hmm. um you know i don't know if i'm directly answering your question i think that that you are yeah that that in the fall you have to address sooner rather than later mm -hmm. and then the things that you are making adjustments on are around a center of issues that have already been mm. revealed um, or or subtle adjustments around a core or principle that we've talked about versus it being something that is brand new that, you know, hey, dude, we're going to start hitting your righty now. And you've been a lefty your whole career. I think that they would look at you like you were crazy. Um, right. I think that is the same way as going, you know, hey, you need to start thinking about chopping down into baseball versus we've talked about you hitting balls straight up in the in the cage. You know, I think that that would be difficult for a kid to trust you on that front if you're not kind of staying consistent right i mean yeah when it comes to you use the word conviction a lot um i think that's a that's an important piece of baseball obviously it's you know you'd rather have a hundred percent of whatever the kids got today than you know 75 percent you know at full energy or f full physical capability right like you want to get the most out of the player for whatever they have that day and um you're talking about adjustments i want to ask about like so a commonality you've seen in the successful hitters that you've coached like in your time so far, like if there's a, if there's a common trait that they possess um, or just something that you're seeing in your hitters right now that like, they're doing a really good job of that, you know, maybe like younger hitters kind of guys uh, don't, don't learn really until they kind of gain that experience. Um, well, that's, that's an open question for, for mechanically, and emotionally and physically right so mm -hmm. just let's start with the emotional side of it 
I've never really known a very successful hitter that wasn't super secure with who they were as a player. Right. Mm. And that bleeds into confidence and their work ethic and all those things. But security, like, like don't overthink it. Um, They don't make baseball bigger than what it is. Hey, if I don't get two hits today, that means I'm not going to hit 350 and I'm not going to get drafted in the sixth round and I'm not going to get that. It eventually catches up to those players, whether it's Mm. now or down the road road, whatever it is, the guys that go out there every single day and know who they are, love who they are as people and kind of can just go out there and play the mm. game uh, and, and trust their work or are more likely to be successful. So that's number one. Security is just an overall person. Like they're, hmm. they're like who they are as people. I think that that is a big deal in such a negative sport. Hmm. From a physicality perspective, the game is turning into a man's game. This is hmm. no longer walk in the streets and, you know, seeing that guy look like Joe Schmo and then the guy next to him is a big leaguer and they look the same. Yeah. Um, these guys are looking like professional athletes that are training and that are big. Um, and a lot of it has to do with what they're seeing as successful. Let's call it throwing gas and hitting home runs um, is something that gets um, portrayed as a major plus. I think at the end of the day, you have- have to be a good hitter and you have to throw strikes you have to do all those things but uh they like looking good and they like working out in the, in the weight room and, and all those things usually i mean it is what it is mm. the guys that are not as physical in a physical game same thing would be in basketball or football or any other sport are sure. giving themselves less chances for success um mm-hmm. i would think that that is the third you know highest of the priorities of the three but it is still one of them you know how do you make yourself to a point where yeah you have more room for error and the guys that I've seen that have been most successful um, are trained very, very well to move athletically and are really physical as players. Um, I think that that's a, that's a great part of it. And you're talking to a guy that wasn't super physical as a player, right? <laughs> um, not that I wasn't training my tail off or whatever it may be, but hmm. um, you know, if you're standing me next to Mike Trout uh, or John Carlos Stanton or uh, John Carlos Stanton, or if it's uh, Aaron Judge or any of those guys, Mm. Uh, you know, there's that running joke of, well, if I was in that guy's body, I'd be a big leaguer. Well, yeah, that's part of it, right? That's, that is part of it, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, the mechanical side of it, um, you know, not that we're going into a deeper onion of this thing, but um, there are mechanical things that I think that hitters do. You know, we have it up on my whiteboard that's right here about, basically, I look for six things that our guys have to do, and they have to be able to at least get four of them for me to think that you are going to be okay this year um mm. and that's kind of generally what we work off of um it's it's barrel stuff and body stuff that they're doing in their swing and so yeah um i don't know if you want me to elaborate uh on those mechanical things that i think that all hitters generally do um but the better that you get the more that you're doing them so okay. i can go into a, into a longer discussion about that for sure but um it's not really that complex i think that people just don't have simple answers for what they teach so Hmm. Well, I was gonna. I'll just say because it's it's not that it's not that complicated, at least in my brain. I don't know that I can get up. Yeah. My little Kentucky bat here. Oh, okay. So so we have a deal about you know when you first flinch in your swing. So let's just say that I'm a hitter and I'm Gary. The initial movement, yeah. Right when I start to really come down in my swing, yeah, we want a barrel and a spine ratio to be right around ninety degrees. 
when we see she got she got too flat or too vertical yeah so like there's gonna be some yeah. discrepancy that's there right it's you know yeah, yeah, yeah. and getting on playing with pitches is going to be really important yeah um, when we're at contact we want to be around 90 degrees to where our barrel and our spine angle are are working cleanly yeah right? so like so that way that i know that there's yeah there's not gonna be a lot of wave of change in my barrel throughout my swing i actually mm. think that's important i think that that's that's really important to have that you can have some adjustability in your swing and that your barrel is staying on plane for a, a long time. And, you know, that, that mm. would be a, a huge component of that. Uh, another one is how you're attacking the pitch, right? If a ball yeah. on average comes down at negative eight degrees for a fastball, we want to have a barrel angle that's right around that, right? We want to have a barrel yeah. angle that's in between six and 12 degrees generally to where we're working on the same plane of the pitch coming in. So I can be okay. at 90, 90 when I first flinch at 90 at contact, if I'm chopping straight down, I'm not going to be in the window of the pitch for that long. If I'm going yeah. straight up, I'm not going to be in the window of the pitch for very long. So we want to have those three barrel things throughout our swing. And there's obviously a ton more that gets involved with that. I mean, you can talk about mm -hmm. the angle of their barrel at contact. You can talk about, you know, on plane efficiency. You can talk about uh, a lot more things, how well that they rotate. Um, but those would be three barrel things that are, that are there. So the three, body movement things i believe in guys having a positive move towards the pitch like there's some sort mm -hmm. of momentum that's going towards a ball that's coming in at you yeah um i believe in rotating at a 50 50 position so if there was a pole that's going right down your spine you're not pulling that pole backwards or forward you're yeah yeah on that pole and then from the side that your posture is remaining when you swing so it's a balance and a stability sort of component yeah as simple as that i mean and, yeah. and so you know like i have been around some awesome hitting coaches, some external old school, whatever it may be that you can say, Hey, just hit line drives and you're going to get a result. Uh, and then some modern age guys, you know, um, that speak only mechanics and, and just mm. data people. Um, yeah, I want to learn it all. I got to figure out the language that our player needs and I got to speak that language. So I, I mm -hmm. say that I got to have yeah. 20 different hitting languages for 20 different guys on our team, but it still is surrounded by, centered by those kind of six things. And then just from an overall approach standpoint, you know, I, I had a kid named uh, Aaron Zavala. Oh yeah. A couple years I know ago. that name. Pretty good hitter. He's with the Rangers um, now, right? Yep. Yep. And, yep. you know, luckily enough, I have a good enough relationship with our players that they can tell me when I'm, when I'm overdoing it or making it too complex, whatever it may be. And he just goes, mm. Marty, you got to trust the fact that you trained us basically and that we're good. Like, just let me club this ball. Like ball's coming in. I got a weapon. Let me hit this thing. And let's go. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So we coined that phrase of clubbing a baseball. Huh. And um, so it's part of that too. Just now that you've done the work is just go club it, you know, club mm -hmm. it, club it through the middle, get a good pitch that you can drive and barrel it up and let's go whack some stuff. You know, um, I think there's part of that too, that component caveman style that, that makes hitting fun. Mm -hmm. You know, when it's so stressful of, every mechanic, you know, whatever it is, you know, confident hitter is way better than a good swinger. You know, I want hitters versus swingers, but yeah, you know, there's so many layers that get into what make great hitters. And I know that was a long-winded answer for your question, but. No, I'm going to ask even more about it because uh, there's a few things I want to dive into on that. First of all, that the whole flow state idea, you know, like you're not even thinking about what you're doing. Like no one's thinking about the analytics of their swing when they're hitting 350 and like they're in, in a mid game, right? Like, right. You don't need it, but Technology, it sounds like you like to use a lot of. So can you elaborate on like how you use the technology to help you kind of communicate to the players, like at least 
maybe angle wise, barrel control in terms of the things that you're talking about right now, just like how technology kind of helps you teach in that sense. Well, the first thing that it does is gives me feedback on what it is that I'm seeing. So like I can mm, yeah, tell, yeah. tell myself, this is what I know is wrong with this player. Um, but I love having feedback that is either backing that up or discrediting that, that thought in my brain. Um, mm -hmm. and I want to, so the, the technology that gets behind it is number one, it's video. We video everything. I video every batting practice session, every game hitting mm -hmm. sessions up top in our house. Uh, I video it all. We use things, um, that are tracking what their barrels are doing on every single swing, how well that they're rotating, what their attacking angles are looking like, um, on a lot of swings. And I also tracking how their body's moving. Right. Mm. Um, do I want our players feeling like they're in a lab when they're hitting? No, I, I want them feeling like they're freed up to go hit. But that information allows for me then to take it and filter it out in the language that our player needs for him to be successful. Yeah. Um, and so really it starts with I use it to give myself the feedback that I need to coach that kid better. Mm -hmm. And I need to be a guy that can track all that data and know exactly what it means. Um, but also being able to know it so well that I can speak whatever language that I can do to that player mm. for him to be able to understand it. So, yeah, you know, when I have a kid that says, hey, Martin, my attacking has been high this week, I better be able to explain to him why, right? Mm -hmm. If he wants to know that info. Um, hey, Martin, I'm topping some balls at the pull side and I'm flaring some balls at the opposite field side. Um, why is that? Uh, it's because your attacking angles are too high. Right. You're coming up at the baseball. And so you're topping it like you'd be playing tennis and you're flaring it when you're late and things are like that. Or, mm. hey, dude, you're coming up at it at it too much. Right. You're hitting you're hitting up with the baseball. Think about coming down on the baseball just a little bit to help mm -hmm. get flatter and, and match those attack angles. Like I said, that's that's going back into something I said earlier about, you know, I got to speak the language of that player about what he is. If he's an analytical guy, I can speak analytics. If it's a player that's a super old school hitter, I got to speak old school hitting to him. Um, mm -hmm. but you bet that I use that information, um, to help me just coach better. And then, you know, if it's something as simple of like, what kind of a guy I am, I'm a, I'm an old school, like pad to paper guy. Yeah. This is what I use every single weekend are, what are the notes on our players and what drills are we going to be doing that week? And mm. are they hot or are they medium or are they cold and, and whatever. Well, that's just how I like to do it. Um, I don't need to do mm. it on an Excel sheet. I like to write it down. Um, and it allows for my brain to process it better. You know, I'm using old school grid when I'm when I'm doing stuff and what hmm. are their pluses looking like and what notes do we need to take? Well, that's how I how my brain works it. But I like to also know why is this guy hot? Well, because the data that we're getting is backing that up along with what I see versus before when you and I were playing in college, it was just, trust me, I'm your hitting coach. <laughs> yeah. eyes, you know, um, I want to sure. I want to get. I want to doubt myself all the time and prove myself that I'm hundred percent right all the time before I go tell a player. Hmm. And this is interesting because we're in an age where information is so prevalent and there's also so many different opinions now when it comes to something like hitting. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, you and I both know Adam Kerner, right? Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I, I don't even know how many different hitting coaches he's had, but there's no way that each hitting coach he's had in his entire career has had, like the same exact hitting philosophy. It's just not possible. There's so many different people. And then now we're, I'm going to bring up Twitter hitting coaches because there's some people that catch some real like slack. Like th there's a lot of buzz right around like hitting coaches and stuff like that. At least in your experience, 
has like a player ever come to you with like, hey, I like what this guy's doing and I want to try this out and it might not be, you know, aligned in aligned with, you know, the philosophy you have. Like what's what's that like kind of having like to navigate when a player maybe wants to go outside of the norm or try something different? You know, they bring in some something from the outside, you could call it, you know, and, and wants to experiment with that. Well, you know. And this is also going back to something I originally said. There's no hitter that doesn't want to be good, right? You know, there's nobody yeah. that's coming in here. I can't wait to just be a, a Mendoza line hitter, right, when I'm here. <laughs> yeah. And so if they're looking for answers for things, I got to take a step back and off my ego train and just go, I think it's awesome that this guy is trying to be better as a player. Now, maybe he has some insecurities and he can't trust things or he mm. doubts himself all the time or whatever it may be. Well, that's a him and I relationship thing to talk through. Mm. Um but if there's a better way to teach that player and I'm holding that player back from learning that way, then what kind of guy am I, right? My <laughs> job is to help that guy perform. Now, that being said, I want to learn it, right? So let's just call mm. it like something that I wouldn't necessarily teach, but maybe that thought process works for a player, right? If it's a teacher yeah. style, right? That I want to, you know, basically get coiled up and snap underneath me or whatever it may be. Mm. I had a player that wanted to hit like that last year and Guess what? He hit third for us and he was awesome. He was a great player. Mm. Now, were there some discrepancies in his swing that him and I disagreed about? Absolutely. 100% mm. there were, but we can have a cup of coffee and talk about it and just go, hey, ultimately, I want you convicted. I want you successful. I want you to perform and yeah. let me know what the best way is to teach you. And so, guess what? I studied for a month on well, what is that and why is that successful for this player or why is he intrigued by it? So that when the question comes up to me of going, hey, Martyr, I saw this guy doing it this way, or I want to get my hands super low and raise him, or I want to hit like Mookie Betts, or I want to hit like this guy. Um, and I just go, no, you can't because I'm your coach. Is that player going to walk away going like, is he just going to go, okay, no problem, coach, you got it. Or is he going to walk away yeah. going, screw that guy, right? Yeah, right, say, right. Screw that guy. So right. if I'm going into the court of law, you know, not getting into this, but, it, you know, turning into yeah. a, you know, a funny <laughs> deal. Like I got terrorists that are here sometimes, like with, with how they want to think, right. I got to negotiate with them on hmm. what I feel convicted that is going to help them be successful. And so if I disagree on it, I tell them I disagree, but explain to me why you want to do this. Like, what is this hmm. guy teaching that is intriguing to you that you feel like you need? And then just let them talk because if they have the answers for it, um and exactly are pure on why they're doing it and just because i don't know it is the reason why i'm telling them i don't want them to do it then that's mm. on me it's, that's on me not yeah. on the kid you know it's on me to find out why that that is good or no good and if i really know it well and i go that is not good then i better be able to play or put it in front of them on a sheet of paper or in the court of law of saying, well, this is why it's no good. And it being to a point where they go, you're right. Let's not do that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I do this for a living. I should be studying all those guys to know exactly what they do. And so that's kind of how I roll is so if there's somebody on Twitter that does something that's or on Instagram, if I, I were to show you what I send our players on Instagram all the time, you'd laugh because I send them a new hitting video every single day from somebody that's not me. Hmm. Right? And a lot of things, not because I think that those guys are better than I am, but, you know, shoot. I mean, you, you know it. Think of how many times that you've had your dad tell you something to do when you're playing. And then you had your coach tell you the exact same thing in a different language or just because of your coach. And you go, hey, dad, look at what Johnny 
you know, Coach Johnny talked uh, talked with me about. He's going, dude. I just told you that like two days ago. You know, yeah, it happens yeah. all the time. But what do I care? I just want the kid to get the results. So he yeah. gets credit for it. He gets the credit. That's 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 the biggest thing. Mm. So if he's successful, that's great. People are going to talk about how great of a hitting coach I am by what our numbers say at the end of the year, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I have with my guys. Yeah. So, I got to speak, like I said, 25 different languages and I got to be a hitting coach for every single one of our players, not just, you know, Jack Martyr baseball and you either like it or you don't. And if you don't like it and get the heck out of here. And if you're going to go to another <laughs> hitting coach, I ain't about that. And whatever it may be, um, mm-hmm. I want to have a good enough relationship to where those guys go, Hey, Martyr, I think that this guy over the break might really help me. And we talk about it. Mm-hmm. If I disagree. I tell them, I, I don't agree with that. And here's why. And at the end of the day, it's their career. You know, absolutely. Now, what about like game planning for a specific type of pitcher and and how that works? Um, and then I also want to ask what type of pitcher is, you know, the most difficult to game plan for. Now we can talk about, well, that'll be part two, but the first one is like, how do you like to game plan uh, with your offense? You know, just like for, for a starting pitcher. It really changes depending on what that guy is and how we're going to end up winning. So yeah. I always start with how are we going to score seven runs? I think that that is a big part of it. You know, when we score seven or more runs, I think we win like 90 something percent of the 92% of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, We want to score seven or more runs uh, to win. Uh, I think that that is a good start. Um, And so if we're facing, you know, Cooper Jerpy from Oregon state, well, that preparation is going to be difficult um, because he's coming at an angle and the ball's got ride to it and it's different than what they've seen. And so maybe I'll, set a machine that's a little bit lower from an angle so that they can feel what it's like. Mm. Uh, but you know how important the mental psyche of it, uh, of it is too. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't want to tell a guy, you know, there's a good friend of mine that I played with, with the Mariners that um, played for a really good school and they were facing a, uh, a pitcher named Chris sale in college. <laughs> and their coach yeah. had told them, Hey, you're going to face basically Randy Johnson today who's throwing it a little bit harder and a little bit tougher angle and a better slider go get him guys you think those guys are walking in that game going can't wait to face this dude yeah oh man um but if i walk i walk in you and say that hey guys this is how we're going to score seven runs right mm. we need 25 pluses today this is what this guy throws his best pitches fastball that's low and it has some ride to it so we need to be thinking about getting above the baseball and hitting it low and we're going to get our pluses by getting a bunch of base hits low and thinking that way right and we're going to absolutely attack a fastball and we're going to all this off-speed stuff i don't care how many strikeouts we have we're not going to swing at one of them right and we're going to prepare like that you know all week for their toughest guy right in a sense Mm -hmm. well that's all well and good uh, but you're also facing on a weekend you're facing about 10 different arms so right uh, ultimately it's about getting our players right making sure that they feel really good that they're at their best and then giving them the information that they need um about what they're going to be up against and you know if you got a bunch of guys that have a lot of ride to their fastballs well you know we hit off machines too and that's gonna be more cage one work if we have guys that are more sinker slider guys well that's in cage three right that we're doing a little bit more of that to where we're prepared to Mm. kind of face everybody and then we just play the matchups for it so Mm. i would just say that we know who we're going to face we have drills and cages for every one of the guys that they're going to face whether it's a lefty cross angle guy to a righty with ride to a sinker guy to a, a cross count guy to whatever mm-hmm. type of a guy that it is and i want our guys to be in the best chance to be successful at all of them at the end of the day when you're facing a first rounder it ain't gonna be easy yeah 
You know what I mean? And so you got to get your guys to where they're feeling good and relaxed and confident about themselves. And so when they only get one pitch to hit and an at bat, that they're ready for it. Okay. Wait. So, so in terms of like toughest pitchers to face, I mean, yeah. Is there a type is, or is it just kind of like, I don't know, he's on that day sort of thing. I mean, is there, is there really like a type of pitcher or something a pitcher can do to like really throw off an offense? I, I think anybody that has, you know, multiple pitches for strikes, number one is, is tough. I don't care how hard you throw, but if you're a guy that's three or four pitches, four strikes, and you can throw it in any mm-hmm. pitch in account, well, that's really tough to keep a hitter on balance. If you're throwing 95 miles an hour and you only have one pitch, our guys are going to hit you. Yeah. Right. Because velo is not the game that's beating guys. It rushes guys. But when you have a discrepancy in pitches and discrepancy in shapes, well, Mm. that's the toughest thing. You know, if you look at the big leaguers, who does the best job in terms of being successful are the ones that um, have a fastball that uh, they can throw to different locations um, that have numbers that are tough to hit, whether it's ride to it or sink or whatever it may be. Sure. They have a pitch that they can throw in any count, right? That has a different shape than a fastball. Uh, and they have at least another one other pitch that they can throw um, that's maybe in the combination of the two of them that they can get away with to steal a strike. Um, mm. And so, you know, I would say the toughest guys are the ones that can throw strikes a lot, you know, that have different discrepancy of pitches. The easiest guys to face are the ones that uh, only throw strike with one pitch. And that one pitch they throw with a strike is not something that's, um gonna get out of the way of a barrel so Mm. you're asking me who i did not like to face um you know if it's a cross single guy with sink and a slider and then he's got a change he can throw in there right on right and do things that are not in the norm not gonna be a comfortable at bat you know i'd much rather Mm. face a guy that's straight and the even the breaking balls are kind of on the same plane and Mm. whatever you can just look in zones and just go hit you know Um, yeah so the guys in college i mean there's great pitchers in in our conference you know, every Friday guy basically is a top 10 rounder, you know, um, yeah. guys are a little bit better than others, but, um, you know, I, I, I think there's been some great arms that have played here at Oregon that I've caught, um, that all had multiple pitches for strikes. You know, there's mm-hmm. other players that I've coached against that are really, really good that have at least two or three pitches that they can throw for strikes and throw it in most counts. Well, that makes it difficult for a college hitter for sure. Okay, so you mentioned catching because I wanted to to hit on that as well because you work with the catchers as well, right? Right. Okay, so how involved are the catchers in the during game process? Are they calling pitches? Uh, Does the pitching coach call pitches? How vocal do you like your catchers to be? Because frankly, they kind of have to be leaders on like the defensive side. So, like, what's what's kind of the the approach for for your catchers? Um, Well, I think that those are things that are earned with them and really the, our pitching coach um you know I'm, mm-hmm. I'm giving them feedback and what they need to do but i tell our guys all the time my job is to get you prepared to where when you go out and play that you're ready to go um mm-hmm. you know in the middle of the game you're working with that pitcher to help him be successful and you're working with the pitching coach and what you're seeing when you're there and you know i'm not the one that's calling the pitches um mm-hmm. but when it comes down to like leadership and things that are that nature right i mean that's yeah what a catcher needs to be he needs to be the guy that's like another coach that's out there on the field so i i certainly would demand that in a practice um, we're demanding that they um, can do all layers of, of the game. They can throw and they can receive and they can block, um, you know, and and then also when it comes down to calling pitches or things that are like that, Jake absolutely will have our guys call pitches when they feel convicted in it. Um, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you know, their, their classwork that they do is actual, you know, mathematics and 
writing. My my homework is watching film. So I, I think that we certainly invest a lot of time when it comes down to preparing ourselves and our players to be successful on what hitters don't do and what pitchers don't do or do well. And, you know, they just don't have the time of the day to do it. When they're in pro ball, all they're doing all day is 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 doing things that are like that around baseball. But mm-hmm. you know, college, they have other things that they have to take care of. And we don't want to overload them with that information. So we work together. Um, you know, our, our catchers work with our, our um, work with our pitchers and our pitching coach. And, you know, when they're all in and they know what they see and they're convicted in it, then there's great communication there between our catcher and our pitching coach about hmm. what the best pitches to call and they do it. Now, what do you think has changed in catching like uh, over, over the last, I don't know, five, 10 years, maybe even since you've played, has there been any big changes in catching? Yeah. I mean, I think number one, um, the evolution of what a catcher looks like has changed um mm. you know, back in the day you know when i used to watch catching it was like who is the guy that's just a block back there and um you know can stick his glove out and catch a ball now it's like a shortstop that's back there catching i mean it's very rare that you're seeing a big tall guy that's back there usually it's a shortstop look looking dude that can move around a little bit and is athletic and gets multiple stances and whatnot just the receiving mm-hmm. um awareness has changed a lot that's what i would say right there's there's a yeah. there's a big emphasis on catching pitches properly and being on plane with pitches and and stealing strikes and you know making pitches look better and things of that nature because that's what's getting pushed in the big leagues i mm-hmm. think that's a little bit different in college because you don't have pitchers that are commanding it as well as um as they are in the big leagues for sure um true and the priorities are different but I would say that's how the catching position has changed. It's becoming more athletic for position and it's more receiving emphasis. Um, but at the same time, for me, it's about your priorities. Like if you have nobody on base and you're, you know, all you're thinking about is receiving, we'll get in the best receiving stance that you can and don't mm-hmm. get picked doing it. Right. When you have a guy on first base, that's a big steal guy, right. He's a top base runner. Well, you should have a stance that's allowing for you to receive and throw. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just, simple game right when you have a guy in third base and you don't need to throw you better be in a position to really receive and block i mean mm. it's just it's just kind of as simple as that in my opinion of needing to have hybrid stances of what you can do and i just think that coaching has gotten better to where there's a big emphasis and awareness for that that position is very important in the outcome of a game and you got to coach it you know so when college yeah. coaches, you don't have a college catching coach at a school um whether you're you know an unbelievable catching coach or you're average to below average like me uh, i think that you need it to <laughs> just have some some thought behind it and and some people that are trying to help you you know i i always am amazed that there's you know it's just because then the limited number of coders that we do have but that big time mm-hmm. programs don't have a guy that's working with catchers i mean yeah it's the most it's one of the most important positions that's out there on the field besides the pitcher you know and so for not totally. to have someone that's back there developing that guy i think is is um uh, you know, you're missing the opportunity to, for that player to really get where he wants to go. Yeah, and I want to touch on receiving a little bit. Is there one sort of general philosophy behind receiving, or are there multiple ways that you can kind of teach receiving? Like, are there are there different ways to receive that are successful, or is there kind of like one general one that is pretty commonly known as like the singular way to do it? Well, I, I mean, receiving is – the, the point of it is just to present a pitch the right way. Right. And so sure, I would talk about the same way that I talk about hitting. Like if a ball is coming at you, you know, downhill and has a 12, six breaking ball, well, you should be mm. 
past the point of where it would be when it crossed the plate and work it back on the same plane mm. um, as though that you're like doing a bench press, right? And we talk about a lot of times about where you're going to be in positions of strength. Well, if you have a sinker guy that's throwing it at your glove and you're trailing this pitch off, well, you're not going to be in a position of strength right here, right? You're going to catch that ball and probably break your thumb, but you have no surface area behind the pitch. Yeah. Working it back where it came from. Well, you should get angled and you should turn your glove to match the plane of the pitch so that when that ball comes in, you're pushing it back in the same direction that it came from to get it on the plate or just to catch and hold it, right? And mm. so the point of receiving is just to whatever the flight of the ball coming in is that when it crosses the plate that you can catch and hold it for a strike and hmm. balls that are borderline that you're working it back on the same plane that it came in. I mean, so whatever that that way of doing that is for you, um, if you're, a, you know, if you want to have a different type of a rhythm or if you want to be a thumb down guy or if you're a straightforward guy or whatever it is, uh, the point of it is like, Hey, I, I want to be able to match planes with pitches and be able to catch and hold them and hmm. all of that. You know, the different styles. Yeah, there's a million different styles that you can have. Hmm. Uh, okay. But, you know, if you're just dropping your glove and you're beat on pitches to your glove side, well, you're doing it wrong. Right. Um, yeah. You know, I, I don't think that there's one one way to catch or another. Um, but ultimately, it's about, in my opinion, matching planes to pitches with strength. And then do you use video for your catchers? Yeah. Yeah. So we, I mean, we can video everything that's going on and, and even as something as simple, like I got tripods that are up in the player development area, where it may be that I'm just bring out and use my phone and videotape it and they'll practice. I think that's important mm -hmm. for the guys to see now more than ever. They are visual learners, right? They want to yeah. see, right? They can, they can feel it too, but they also aren't matching what they feel with what they see. And so mm -hmm. versus me that can only see it and can't feel it for them. Um, but yeah, we video it all and we video games and that's where I go back and take my notes and they can go back and look at it too. And yeah, you can move along a little bit more when there's access to things like that. Well, and video is also really good for evaluating players that you don't have yet. So like recruiting right. guys. So does that play a piece in it too? Like just, you know, taking video or even we could talk about technology, you know, in general as well. Data like has obviously taken taking the baseball world by storm how much does that influence how you recruit uh even high school players at this point well I, I think that you know getting access especially from a pitching perspective is important for me from a hitting you deal you, you you heard how analytical that i am when it comes down to it i want to get access to those things but i can use mm. usually see it in front of my eyes you can you know old school you can see a guy that had some ride to it or the ball beat him or whatever it may be but True, yeah. our guns that have spin rates and can give you horizontal and do break and we can you know check things that are like that yeah i, I want to have that information for sure and it helps us be able to make a decision on a kid with how early the process is going earlier now you know when you see a freshman that's throwing yeah maybe four miles an hour um you know well that wouldn't have played at you know your level yet but you're seeing how he's going to project physically you know by looking at his parents or what he looks like or how big his shoulders are whatever it may be and then mm. man he's got a spin rate of 2400 on his fastball and He's got, you know, whatever, uh, 26 on a breaking ball, and there's a big discrepancy between his vertical and horizontal break and those things that are there. Well, those numbers can back up what he's going to turn into for sure. Mm -hmm. And so that's why guys are able to make decisions earlier and be right on them. But the guys that don't use that information are just guessing, you know, eventually it catches up to you and making wrong decisions on players and, um, you know, you end up hurting the player that way. So yeah. um, the answer is yes, we utilize it as much as we can. Um but you're still making projections on guys that haven't done it yet. So, yeah. But even if a guy's performing well, did the numbers matter that much? 
No, but it does when it talks about a kid that's not performing at your level, right? And you're sure, talking about, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm performing as a freshman on the freshman team and I have a, you know, one in a ERA and I'm throwing 77 miles an hour. It's like, hey, that's all well and good, but like get you up on a varsity game and see how you do, right? I get you up at a college yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think ultimately success is what plays, right? At mm -hmm. our level, it's the guys that are most successful are the ones that are playing, not the guy with the highest spin rate. So, mm. um, you know, but when it comes down to projecting who is going to be successful, you won't, you don't really have that opportunity to put them on your level. I mean, you just don't, you're, you're projecting them out when they're in high school, when they're not playing at your level. And, mm. and so I think that those things help, help you make a better decision on players. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I figured, you know the higher the level of competition, the success that they're having at that, you know, would translate to a lot more interest than, you know, if he's at a lower level and, oh yeah, his numbers are great. You know, even his data is great, but it's right. at such a low level, you know, it's like, you got to be able to compete at high levels, obviously. Now I, this might be a tough question to answer, but what's like a common way just in your experience that you've seen the highly talented guy kind of lose your interest where you're like okay yeah he's a good player but he's I'm, i just can't recruit him or he's not going to be you know a guy for this program you know what i mean by that I, question yeah no i i think that ultimately um I'm trying to without spilling beans on stuff but like, like <laughs> yeah yeah a number next to a player is all well and good um hmm. i just think that it's a little bit inaccurate or a little bit inflated hmm. a lot of the time right and so we ultimately want to get good players but man it, it just is turning into a deal where a kid thinks that he is deserving to go to your school um because he has a number that's next to his name that says i am the 25th ranked player in california or in the united states and so hmm. you better recruit me because guess what a lot of recruiters are doing they are going off of those numbers and they are recruiting kids because it makes them feel good that they have a top ranked class and blah, blah, blah. And I'm going, Hey, that's, that's awesome. And I got to check myself all the time is going every time. Would I want this guy? Can this guy plan our program? Right. And what is he going to do? Yeah. The rankings kind of just help kind of get your foot in the door, maybe a little bit to see who other people have seen and who's good. And to mm -hmm. me, I like to utilize it because uh, it tells me how other bad recruiters, in my opinion, are going to recruit that kid, right? Like he's got a number next to his name and he's in eighth grade. I mean, it's not ridiculous, but it is a little ridiculous. Um, I mean, it's an impossible half, job, half honestly, top, for eighth half graders. The top 100 like, eighth graders are already committed to places. And you are know. you serious? Oh my gosh. All right. That's wild. That I just, it wasn't the case in my, in my experience. I, I don't know right. about yours. I feel like it just couldn't have been, but. I don't know. Then again, like everyone's different. I know me as a freshman, I, I wasn't ready to commit to anything as a freshman, you know, in college, like, yeah, but also you're, you weren't going through what these kids are also going through um, now, which is, which is a little bit inflated. I mean, these guys are in front of a camera all the time. I mean, shoot, I was at an event yeah. at the end of the summer in Nashville where I had, you know, eight of the top coaches in the country that were there watching these young players play. And it was, you know, I had my guys, I was just crossing guys off a list because they were acting ridiculous. It was like, hmm. like, what are you here for? I mean, like they were playing and it was way, way more about social media presence and hmm. way more about 
how sweet do I look and way more about perception than it was about the substance behind just being a good player. Like, Hey, I'm here mm. to eat against the best players in the country. There was a lot of unbelievably talented players that were there. Right. But yeah, when you're trying to decide on the character of the player that you have coming in, um, why are you coming to school? Right. Like, like, like yeah. there's so much noise that's in these guys' worlds now hmm. um, that it's difficult for them to know what's right and what's wrong and whatever. Like, do you love playing baseball? You know, no, coach, I don't love playing it, but I was told that I was good. It's like, well, I don't care how good you are. I, I don't want you then, you know, because hmm. I'm investing my career in you as a person. And so I, know I think that's tough to do as an eighth grader, but or a ninth grader or shoot, even if a senior it doesn't matter. Um, but we just got to be really smart about it. And we as coaches – um, you know, I, I know that I, I like, I feel like I get made fun of a lot because I have the same view on it. It doesn't mean that I'm not talking to players or not recruiting players that are of that age, or, you know, we're not trying to get players in our program too, that are the best players. Cause we got a reputation that we have to have that we're going after the best guys. Mm. Um, but I just go like, do you really feel like this is right? Like, do you really feel like this yeah. is the right thing to do? Um, I think the answer is yes in a lot of cases because these kids are out in the forefront. You can really see them and there's video on them and you can really get a good judgment of it. But I also go back to, well, what was I like as an eighth grader, you know, mm. and what I was, I ready to make a decision. Well, no, um, but that doesn't mean that there aren't some kids that can now, um, but not usually as likely. And so this is a long winded answer of, of asking, is there anything that's going to get me off of a top end player? Um, for me, a top-end player is what I view as being a top-end player, not what somebody else views as being a top-end player. So the answer is, is the only mm -hmm. thing that will get me off of what I view as being a top-end talent is who they are as a person, right? Which so doesn't when, make them a top-end player anymore because a top-end well, player yeah, needs they, to I, love the game and you know doesn't want to quit when they're not doing well. Sure, but I'm saying even just as a human being, like like um, uh, you know, we will still recruit kids that are super talented that are jerks as players. Um, because there is a there is a wave of matching yeah. the, the type of player that they are and trying to help them grow as people when they're here. Yeah. Uh, but you better be that elite of a player for us to even want to go down that road. And it's very rare that we would. Mm. Uh, things like grades and you know how they treat their parents and mm. you know all the cliche things of how they play when no one's watching them and what do their teammates think and what do their coaches think of them as people and you know do they do their chores and you know whatever it may be. Of course, you want all those things. Um, mm -hmm. But it really comes down to my eye and what I view as being a top end player. You know, I'm not, I'm, I may be utilizing a ranking to help me go see a player for the first time, but at the end of the day, it comes down to what I see. And do I think that this guy's a great guy? The, the perfect guy for me is mm -hmm. a guy that I'm at and I'm the only guy that's there. And it's just, and he doesn't even know that I'm there and I'm just watching him play. And he is really just all about playing baseball and you can see it. Um, yeah, guys, in my opinion, that end up uh, um, being secure as people and end up coming here and appreciating the fact that they're playing college sports and end up being successful were the guys that are, you know, only there for the glitz and the glamour of what somebody else says and the perception. Then those guys are going to be chasing that the whole time and, mm. you know, end up potentially not being successful that way. So, yeah, I'm good at long winded answers for short questions. So, I like it though. That's perfect for this. <laughs> um okay wait let's I, I know you don't have too much time yeah left, but I, I do want to dive into you know you as a person you know really briefly and we we can go as quick as we need uh if need be 
there's not gonna be a whole lot there that, that that'll be exciting you know as me as a person but i'm happy to answer anything okay 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 well we'll see we'll see okay so have you always wanted to be a coach did you know you wanted to be a coach once you stopped playing I think when I stopped playing, um, I knew I knew that there was always that itching that I think that I could do it. You know, the confidence in myself was that I was a very cerebral player and that I was smart on the baseball field and mm. had an intangible knack for knowing what was going on, and which is why I ended up wanting to play for George Horton, who I thought was the utmost of that. Um, yeah. But he really inspired me that I could be as successful as a coach. Um, I didn't know that I was going to be good or not good. I knew that I would love it. I knew that I would probably enjoy being at the field all the time and all those things. Mm. Um, but I didn't know, number one, how much work that it does take when I first started it to be actually a good coach versus just knowing baseball. Like I thought that mm. coaching was just about knowing baseball. Well, there's way more layers to that. Um, yeah. and I was inspired by the coaching staff that I first had when I was here and the great coach that I had my whole life that I can make an impact on those players. So I was, I was inspired by that. Mm-hmm. I was really wanting to stay in the game because of how it ended for me, but I wasn't done yet. Um, I wasn't mm-hmm. ready to just get away from him. Um, but I, you know, I was raised in a very blue collar way in a sense. Uh, my parents, you know, were always about what you're passionate about. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you say that you want to be the three hitter on your high school team, then, you better make it impossible for that not to happen. You know, you want to be really successful um, in life. Then it's on the impact that you're making in the world, you know, in a, in a, as cliche as that is, you know, my <laughs> father who's a successful, you know, used coffee machine salesman. My mother's a lawyer. So I had both sides of the spectrum there for sure in terms of the law and so being able to sell anything to where Mm. um i had a great balance and perspective on what is success and what is not and it really it was about like are you enjoying what you're doing do you feel proud about what you're doing and are you really making an impact around well i thought what better Mm. way of coaching to do that and so when i was done playing it was let's try this thing out see how long i can take it and then am i really sure that i have an act for it or not and you know Mm. i was so fortunate that i had like I said, I had George Horton as my first boss and I had Mark Wazikowski as my other boss that was here and Jay Ullman, that was my other boss when I was here and mm. uh, people that are around me that are all unbelievable. I, Mike Kurt, I mean, all the coaches that I had in college that I worked for are all head coaches. They're all yeah. head coaches somewhere. They're not like these guys that have faded out. I mean, at Oregon, I had George Horton, Andrew Chekets, Mike Kirby, Jay Ullman. Those are four yeah. big time head coaches. Um, when I was at um, you know, in pro ball, I had, you know, three managers that are now in the big leagues as coaches of mine. Um, Jeez. you know, when I coached at Stanford, I had, you know, David Esker that taught me one thing. When I was at Kaiser University, I had Jeremy Kennedy that taught me something completely different. Hmm. When I was here coaching, you know, as an undergrad, I had, you know, Waz that taught me about how you have to have relationships with players before you coach them. And Jay that taught me about mm-hmm. work ethic from a scouting perspective uh, before, you know, preparing for an opponent. And, Coach Horton, mm. that was the best X's and O's guy and knew how to have his players feel like they were loved and, you know, all those things. Well, that, that inspired me to want to do it. That's that's all the best way I could say it. <laughs> yeah, I think that is the best way you could have said it, honestly. Um, is there a, a piece of advice or I guess what's the best piece of advice you would give your first year coaching self? Work harder than anybody else that's there. Hmm. You know, be the hardest working guy that's on your staff. That's that's what, And nothing's beneath you. There is not one job that is beneath you uh, ever in your coaching career. I don't care if it's cleaning the dugouts to, you know, picking up balls to making sure 
little tiny details are taken care of to hmm. taking over the hitters, you know, and I'm going to be the new hitting coach that's here. It doesn't matter what it is, but nothing's beneath you and don't let anybody outwork you. Um, I think that if you can do that, you're going to be successful at most things in life, you know? Yeah. And if you're really passionate about it, you'll find ways to get answers. You know, I, I mean, I, I think that when you have a great perspective of like, you know, not wide eyed, but it's just like, I was very proud of the fact that when I was a young assistant here, that I could add something to the coaching staff, you know? Um, hmm. And it was something that they didn't have time to do. Well, put me in there. I'll, I'll do it. You know, what do you want me to do? I'll, I'll do it. You know, hmm. I, I don't care what it is. It wasn't an ego deal. It wasn't a who getting credit deal. It was how can I help the program? And um, I learned so much because of that. I mean, the mm. learning of the game, I, I already knew a lot of, but the more that I entrenched myself with trust from the other coaches, the more responsibility that they gave me. Mm. They trust that I was going to be the first one here and I was going to be the last one to leave. And I was passionate about doing it. And I knew a little bit about baseball. Then they were more likely to want to help me. And I was so fortunate that I had, I mean, I brings me almost to tears emotionally that I've had been so over spooned to the, to the death of yeah. people around me from other coaches that have impacted my world. I mean, I'm a, hmm. when it comes down to stealing things from other coaches that have worked for their players and, you know, worked for me and whatever. Um, but, you know, as a younger me, um, I was good with how I did it. I, I, I got a yeah. good perspective of it i try to work as hard as i could and add something to the program and you know were there things i could have done better absolutely but my reasons why i was doing it have never changed since mm. i've been the first year in 2015 that that ain't never going to change it's always about the players and how can you help them and help out the program i was going to ask what your favorite part about oregon baseball is but it sounds like i just got a pretty good idea of it does that sound right <laughs> i like the ego side of people telling me that i'm awesome at my job <laughs> no, I, I, I love the players. I do. I love the players. I love the impact yeah. that you can make on their lives in a positive direction. I love the challenge of that. I love the challenge mm. of, of like, hey, I got to go be a better guy today to help out our guys. And and mm. there's not one player that I've ever coached that's the same as somebody else. And, mm. you know, and I think that that challenge is awesome. That keeps me super competitive, um, you know, and now that I'm older, you know, a little bit, not that much older, but, you know, you get invited to weddings now. And, you know, I, I've officiated, I, I think four or five weddings and those oh, are wow. really fun and make you feel even prouder about it. The, the players that come back and give you hugs and tell you that they love you. I mean, we had George Horton that just got honored here this last weekend at Oregon for a big mm -hmm. event that we had. And, you know, I, I can see it in his eyes. I mean, he's this guy, the hall of famer and, and the things that he credits the most, to his happiness is just the players coming back and telling him that they appreciated him, you know, those mm. same things that I, that I feel too. And, mm. um, you know, the best part about Oregon is the best part about any place for me is getting to work with college players and, um, being an impact on their life. You know, that, that'd be mm. the same for me, whether I was coaching at high school or to NAI school that I've done before top 25 program at Oregon, you know, it doesn't matter to me. All right, I wanted to ask about something about Oregon, you know, your favorite part about Oregon that people don't know about, but I don't know. I mean, maybe like a food spot or something, something about Eugene, maybe that you like, you know, Eugene is a very, uh, outdoorsy place. Um, yeah. and most people know about that, but like really just kind of depends on the guy that you are. Like if you like mm. fresh air and you like going fishing and you like going hunting or you like playing golf or you like going to the, the coast is only an hour away, which is ridiculously beautiful. Even just that drive to get there is 
awesome. It's really, mm. really pretty out here. That's that's what I, I could tell you. And in LA where I grew up, yeah, spots there that were awesome too. But you oh, got so like different. a whole day about when you're driving to somewhere. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, you know, um, but the food here is great. Um, in, in this in the town, it's a super college town. Um mm. oh shoot, at our we had this banquet the other day and and you know if I told you the 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 list of people that are at just a lunch before our season kicks off. I mean you talk about Harold Reynolds to Tinker Hatfield to to you know Coach Lanning, our football coaches there to Oregon Hall of Famers to you know you name it. I mean there was mm. billionaires that are that are sitting down there next to you at a small, you know, in a college town, right? Yeah. You can think that you're gonna get those things in LA with celebrities, but the celebrities around here are surrounded by the university, mm. you know, which is different here than, than probably where I grew up. Mm. Uh, this is the sports team that's here. And so you kind of have a responsibility that when you're walking the streets or you're doing your job, that people are going to know about what you're doing. Yeah. Outside of it's cool, but you know, my house overlooks a Canyon of Christmas trees. It's pretty, pretty sight. And I, you know, wouldn't get that in LA necessarily. Um, but I like the beauty of the outdoors out here. I think that that's really, really neat. Something that you can't get at most places in the country. Certainly not California. Certainly not Los Angeles. You okay, the well, there you got some things. Yeah, but, yeah. But yeah, it's a little bit different. That's what I'd say. It's God's country here. You know, that's that's how I would jokingly describe it. It's, there you, know, you go. Outdoors and and you're you're in God's country out here. Yeah. Okay. Last question. We'll keep yep. we can keep it quick if you want. Um, you have a do you have a most memorable recruiting visit or recruiting trip that you took? It could be a train wreck, fantastic success story, awkward, anything. Um, it all blends together, to be honest with you. I, I, mm. I would tell you the things that I enjoy the most are when I wake up and go, you know, as cliche as it is, is I'm going to watch something that's specific. Like I know that I'm watching this one player and I get to make a decision on whether or not we want that player in our program. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, most of the time it's yes, because that's the reason why I'm going out there specifically to watch them and thinking that I got the next all American that's going to come play here. Mm -hmm. um, those are always really, really fun when you're doing it. Sometimes just scouring and just, you know, recruiting a whole list of got, you know, players when you're out in an event with another 200 other coaches is great too. But, um, you know, I like doing it where it's just me alone and just sitting there and me having my sunflower seeds and, you know, maybe a B chat. No one knows that who I am. And I'm just watching the next all American player. I think that those things are really fun. Um, but you know, I'm only home usually about four or five days in the entire summer. So it all kind of blends together and it's late night trips and it's tough traveling and things that are like yeah. that, but the things that get you up in the morning are trying to find players that are going to be difference makers in your life. You know, for me, they mean as people difference mm -hmm. makers in your life. And so, um, I don't know that I have one specifically and, uh, and all that. Um, mm. but I would say that the enjoyment of no matter what field that we're at is trying to find the next championship type of players and people is always the thing that excites me the most with going out and recruiting, um, mm. more so than winning a recruit, I, you know, whatever to that, it's really about finding players that are awesome and, you know, you want them to come to your program. And even if they go somewhere else, I think just witnessing them, be incredible players and, and seeing their future ahead of them, you know, whether they're playing at Oregon state or Oregon to me, obviously I I'm unbelievably biased to want them to play here, but <laughs> yeah. um, I think just the fun of watching them play, you know, and, and saying <laughs> that guy's going to be the next Mike Trout, you know, or that guy's going to be the next 
you know, Walker Bueller, or that guy's going to be the next Clayton Kershaw or whatever it is that you're seeing. I think that that side of it is really, really neat. And you're seeing the future of baseball in front of your eyes as a college coach. Yeah. I mean, you're certainly in a unique position nonetheless, like getting to see the guys before, you know, it happens. That's yeah, that's pretty cool. I love, I love going to, and, and I would say this because I know other coaches would say maybe the same. Mm. Um, I love going to, to USA events. I love going to see guys play for Team USA uh, when mm. they're trying out for those teams. And you're seeing the best players that are there in the country and they're playing for something bigger than them versus themselves. I think that that always is an awesome thing. Um, hmm. That occurs, whether that's in Arizona or Florida or Perry or whatever it may be. That's my most enjoyable events of the summer is watching guys try and compete for Team USA, whether it's at the 15U level, 16U level, or 18U level, it doesn't matter. I think that that, you know, collegiate team you know i think that watching guys play for your country i think is pretty neat and it shows playing for something more than just yourself but yeah you absolutely. want it to be like that absolutely. When here, so yeah that's what it's about i mean shoot you you're making me want to go back to college if i could you know and play for oregon i mean geez it sounds like it sounds like a great time there honestly like i if i'm a listener right get now, into the like, fun stuff that, yeah that you do as a college student when you're here like going to sporting events and yeah carrying yourself at a football game or baseball game or you know whatever those are the other fun things that you can get in a lot of programs too but this yeah. place is different this is nike U, and oh, there's yeah. some great perks that are here but the the purities of why guys are really happy and successful here have to do with their subtle experiences on an everyday basis you know mm. um and we're trying to provide an environment for them to have an awesome experience it sounds like we might have another episode in the making then because there's oh, it seems like there's a lot more to talk about yeah, you're going to see me next year. You're going to see I'm going to be like gray. I'm going to be like <laughs> whatever. You know. Uh, Hopefully, I don't have different two different of answers. Um, I, I, you know, I love what I do, so it's it's an awesome. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, that's everything. You know, I have on my end, uh, Jack, and I, I think that was awesome. I think you knocked that one out of the park. Um, I guess the last thing I'll just say to you is thank you for coming on, and you know, I, I had a blast personally. So yeah i appreciate you anytime i can talk baseball i'm gonna love doing it you know yeah and, uh you know your family and share our family without us really knowing each other kind of go back a little bit and being in the 805-818 area code uh, yeah and certainly with what you know I'm, I'm a big believer in this like there's subtle things that people do for other people um mm. you know, your father's a is a really good person is even if it's just with my job i think does a great job with even if it's just due day or anything like that, but I know that he's a great, <laughs> great guy. And I, that must mean that you are too. And, um, oh, come on. Anytime. Thank you, Jack. That, that was too kind. I mean, we can just cap it off there. That's, it's a great way to end the episode. Um, and I'll talk to you really briefly after we sign off, but that is going to do it for this week's episode of player to prospect. And I hope you guys really enjoyed that. Cause I did, and we will see you next week.